What's up, guys? Connor O'Hanlon here for another episode of the Con O Show. And today, we're going to be diving into a plethora of stories that have spanned a little bit greater than this past week, but I think they're important to cover. Um, they're spanning, like, we're going to start with the minimum wage debate. We're going to start with um, the, the stimulus checks. We're going to go and talk about the war within the Republican Party. And we're going to talk about unionization and Amazon. And I'm sure I might stumble upon some other stuff along the way. Um, so, if you didn't notice, I have one thing in the background, so I'm going to start adding one thing in the background for time. Uh, but that's actually not true. Uh, we're just gonna we're gonna start building out this studio and make it look a little bit more professional. So I appreciate you guys sticking with me while we're in this process. I want to also welcome Josh as my editor slash producer slash everything. Um, He's been helping me the last two weeks. We were kind of just doing some tests and whatnot, but I officially want to announce that uh, Josh will be joining me, helping with everything because I am all over the place right now. So he's really been helpful, and we're gonna—that's how he's gonna be helping me upgrade all this stuff. So the visuals will look better, the sound will look or sound better. We're gonna have some these visuals that you may have already seen. All of that uh, is because of him. So. Thank you and welcome. And uh, not that I'm going to start pushing it hard, but at some point we're probably going to open up um, some sort of, you know, Patreon or whatnot. Uh, I'm not going to do that right now, but just keep that on the radar if that's something that you would consider doing because I do, I am trying to pay Josh at some point. <laughs> so um, it would be nice to at least be able to break even on that. Uh, so. With all of that being said, we're going to jump right into it. I want to start with the minimum wage debate because this is something that I have discussed on the show before, um, but I think it it uh, bears repeating and it bears an updated uh, debate because with the election of Joe Biden, and with the the potential passing of bills through reconciliation and passing of coronavirus bills outside of reconciliation, however, I don't believe this is the path forward. Um, bills through reconciliation, technically, we're not a hundred percent sure, could encompass a fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage. That would be amazing. That would be excellent. Um, so, for those of that don't know. The fight 15 has been going on for a long time. I remember it. Uh, I remember when I when I started getting involved in 2015 in uh, in any sort of politics. At the time, I was 18, um, and I I was like, you know, I, I was even skeptical at the time. I'm like, you know, 15 dollars seems like a lot, but all right, that seems seems reasonable. And then you look at the statistics, and we'll we'll get into the, some of that in a second. And it seems more and more reasonable as time goes on, especially as inflation rises. And we've talked about, uh, I mean, like I said, this has been about five years that I, that this, at least that this debate has been going on. Um, Bernie brought it to the presidential debates. Uh, I know that people had been fighting for it before then, um, but he, it's the same thing, right? With, with like Medicare for all people have been fighting for universal healthcare, but he brought it to the forefront in a presidential uh, manner, which put it really into, especially the youth's 
mind collectively. I mean, that's how I got involved is through um, seeing what Bernie did. Uh, I wouldn't have otherwise really known a lot about specific policies. Like there's certain things that just never would have came up. The wealth inequality debate uh, just, you know, I would have been aware of it, but not to the extent that because of Bernie, we are now. The minimum wage um, is the floor for what you can pay somebody. Now, there's two caveats, right? At least, at least two caveats. The minimum wage applies to a lot of workers. However, it does not apply for exemptions for uh workers with disabilities. So whether that be like handicapped, uh, mentally handicapped people or um, people that work for tips. And the tips exemption is one that is particularly egregious because it's like, it's almost like $2 an hour is the uh, minimum wage you would pay someone based on tips. I actually don't know the nominal rate off my head for the people that uh, have disabilities, uh, but it is less than the federal minimum wage uh, that is set for all other workers, which is unacceptable. Um, That being said, the federal minimum wage, and I'm going to emphasize this because if you live in, say, you know, New Jersey or you live in California or you live in Seattle or you live somewhere else, uh, the federal minimum wage in Pennsylvania, too, is $7.25 an hour. Let me repeat that. $7.25 an hour. You couldn't even buy McDonald's lunch for seven twenty-five. I mean, maybe you could if you got off the dollar menu, right? Seven dollars and twenty-five, or seven dollars twenty-five cents an hour. Now, I have the unique uh, perspective, I guess, as someone who has actually worked a job that paid me that. Now, I only lasted very, very briefly, but I did. I worked a job in the summer between college uh, courses or college semesters, and it paid me $7.25 at Kmart. Now, okay, that's a great example of like, this is the stereotypical like, okay, well, I'm going to not do a boomer impression, but boomers usually are like, (laughs) you know, uh, the minimum wage is actually for workers that are, you know, in high school or in college, and they're just trying to make some extra money, spending money for, you know, for, for food or beer or, you know, video games, which, you know, kind of was true at the time for me. However, like a, a week's worth of a week's worth of work barely got me a, a new video game. <laughs> so it goes to show that when I was working there, at least it goes to show most of the workers there were not young people. Most of the workers there were in their middle, uh, you know, middle 40s, 50s, some of them in the 60s. And also, side note, they they had lied to me and said that I was going to be a cashier. And then they were like, you're kind of muscular, so go unload the trucks. 
So that's also why I was, I was kind of pissed off. Um, but that aside, um, most of the people there actually weren't young people. Uh, most of them were el- not elderly, middle-aged, or, or some of them were elderly. And this was their living. Like, this was their survival. Um, I don't know how they lived. I don't know whether they were getting government assistance um, or they just were married to somebody that made money uh, or they lived at home with somebody else, um, whether that be their parents or, you know, their kids. Um, but in like in reality, it's impossible to live off of that wage, um, especially if you're by yourself. I mean, if you have a family, maybe your other, your significant other makes enough money to provide, but the amount of money is so minuscule that you're making at 725 that it's a joke. Uh, like honestly, especially like when I, I know, and I know, you know, again, I come from a place of privilege, but when I was in college, even now, like if, like, let's just say out of COVID, right? I lost all, I had four jobs, right? I lost all of them. I have a job now, so I'm good. But when I, I lost all my jobs because of COVID, if you paid me seven twenty five an hour to work a job, I would rather not have a job because my my time is more valuable than that, and my time could be better spent doing something else than seven twenty five an hour. And that's also pre tax. Let's remember that. Um. So. Seven twenty-five is what it is now. There actually are states, believe it or not. I've had to, I've had discussions with people where they don't believe me that I say that there are people that get paid that. Again, I'll emphasize the tips. People that get paid off of tips. Now, before we get into the whole fifteen an hour thing, let's talk about the culture of tip wages. If you if you make a living off of being uh, off of tips, right? The idea is that you're going to act better, I suppose, when you're serving customers. You're you're gonna, you know, try really hard for a really good tip. Here's the thing, especially as millennials, right? Millennials and young uh, other younger people recognize that. Those workers are working for tips. I pay, I tip if I if someone's serving me, I tip twenty percent every time because I know that that person is making their living off of that tip, not not literally just that one, but tips collectively, and that's not really right. I would rather be like the European countries where they pay them a wage and if they're excellent service, the food was great and everything like that, you give them a tip because that's what the tip is originally for. It's supposed to be like an extra amount, not, not the base amount. And here's the thing. Let's just say you have a, uh, a person that's really upset with their meal, 
and they decide that it's worth, you know, giving a not tipping. That means that person that had to serve them for that hour is losing an eighth, I don't know, a tenth, a even a fifteenth of their daily wage because that person decided not to tip. And when you have that add up over time, that's a lot of money, especially when you're only getting $2 an hour on the, on the back end. So it's really, really, really bad um, that we have to have workers rely on this. Work, workers rely basically on the charity of others. And this is where, you know, we had a debate on this in, in I remember I, I was watching it in Doylestown. And it wasn't about the wage, but it was about um, parks. And it's like these things that you value, if you value them, put the money into it. Don't rely on charity because charity doesn't always come through. There is a way to fund things and that is through significant, like not, it's through consistent spending from the government, right? If you take away that funding mechanism and you say, well, we're going to raise money for charity, well, what if you need a heart transplant? You don't have the money. Like the charity doesn't come through with that. You don't have health insurance. Well, then you, you're, you're shit out of luck. Sorry, buddy. And this is the problem. Charity is good, but it cannot be the reliant force for when it comes to something like spending on necessities for a municipality or a county or a state. Oh, I'm going to sneeze. Ah, sorry. Um, You have to take all this together. The minimum wage is largely for these chains, for these, uh, I mean, that's really, honestly, a lot of people that pay minimum wage are these chains like Walmart or McDonald's or whatever. And Look, before you jump up, right, jump down my throat, writing in the comments, oh, actually, um, Walmart pays them $9 an hour, blah, 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 blah. Yes, I understand. But there's a big caveat. The reason why they like Walmart or like McDonald's will pay you 9 or $10 an hour so that it's like slightly above because they still need to attract people to come work there. And a lot of the places that pay $7.25 have ended up going out of business because they're terrible, like Kmart. But they still exist. And here's the thing. They're trying to pay you the bare minimum that they possibly can get by and still have people that are willing to work. The problem here is the system that we live within coerces people into working no matter what. Because... As I said earlier, to me, I'd rather not work than get paid $7.25 an hour for my work because I know I'm worth more than that. But some people don't have the privilege that I have to not have to worry about that. You know, if you have to pay off a mortgage, if you have to pay rent, if you have to pay for food, if you have to pay for your kid's child care, yeah, you have to work. I mean, it's a system we live within. So, we get to the $15 an hour minimum wage. Why is it 15? Well, 15 is about 60% of the median wage of about $50,000. You can 
you can recalculate that if you like. And supposedly 60% of the gross median wage of the average worker, uh, which I guess would mean the median, uh, <laughs> is about where the minimum wage should be set, according to economists. Now, like I said, the fight for 15 has been going on for multiple years. So, we have seen, with Joe Biden pr proposing a $15 minimum wage, we have seen some progressives online say, make it 20, make it 25, make it 30. And here's the thing, okay? We don't, we need to not, we need to make sure that we're not a caricature of ourselves. Because Joe Biden is a centrist, we can't just automatically be contrarians, right? As much as I enjoy being a contrarian, if they propose a $15 minimum wage, sure, the next thing we could fight for is 20. I'm not opposed to that because guess what? When you adjust for uh, productivity, which again, that includes automation, that includes a bunch of different things that ne doesn't necessarily mean that the workers are more productive, although I would make the argument that they are. Adjustments for productivity, output, they are about $23, $22 an hour. So I think you can make the argument that $20 an hour is reasonable. But we need to make sure that we're not just being obtuse. <laughs> we don't want to just be like, all right, well, it's 15 an hour uh, under Joe Biden, so I want it to be 50 and I know that most of you guys watching this understand that. I know most of you aren't going to be like, well, yeah, exactly. Uh, you're totally, you're totally, totally right. Um, we should do a uh, hundred. Most people recognize why that's a bad, uh, a bad idea. Because it strawmans ourselves. We should be building up the case as strong as possible for our side. $15 an hour is a nice medium uh, range. It's a strike at like, all right, we'll tie it there. 15 an hour is good and tie it to inflation. If you tie it to inflation, you're not going to have to keep adjusting it all the time. That is the key that I think we're missing. Why do we see people saying it's 30, 35, you know, pe people are getting out of control online, which I it almost makes me think that they're like fake progressives. And I don't want to be like a no true Scotsman fallacy here. But if you don't understand that there is there is a point in which the minimum wage is going to hit a uh, <clears throat> a counterproductivity level, then you're not you've I mean, <sighs> I criticize, uh, I guess, neoclassical economics all the time. I mean, I don't necessarily put it in that that uh, that framing. I don't always mention that, right? But supply and demand, the basics of macro and microeconomics, the neoclassical stuff. There is a there is some truth in those, and you talk about the floor wage. If it's above equilibrium significantly, then we're going to have a problem. Then unemployment will actually rise. And then the workers that do have jobs 
are going to be ground down and beaten badly because they're going to be like, well, you have, you have a job. So be, so suck it up and, uh, be grateful. And this is the class solidarity that we need to show and work together to have in order to fight for $15 an hour. It is a good wage, and I understand $15 an hour does not pay for rent in New York. $15 an hour does not pay for rent in California. But $15 an hour is significantly better than $7.25 if you live in Pennsylvania, if you live in Ohio, if you live in all these places, even if you live in New York, but that's different, obviously. They're raising the wage to $15 already anyway. This also significantly decreases the cost to the government. So again, the fiscal conservatives that say they want to be reducing deficits, reducing this, reduce the debt, they're lying. According to David Dayan from the American Prospect, and pardon me, I have to look at my computer screen, there would be, if you raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour, there would be a between $13.4 billion to $31 billion in savings in safety net programs, $7, or $7 billion to $13.9 billion increase in FICA revenue. FICA revenue is like your um, payroll taxes. $6.5 billion to $20 billion reduction in the, in the earned income tax credit, uh, which would all amount to between basically $3 uh, $27 billion to $65 billion in savings every single year. Every single year. That's not even to mention, talk about the disposable income increase for these people, these workers, that they can actually live and enjoy their freaking lives for once. Like, isn't it nice when you get to buy something? Isn't it nice when you get to go on a trip? I mean... The basic necessities of life should be covered with your wage easily. And I want to thank um, Starry Eye JG, uh, JGC for sending me that link from David Day, and I appreciate that uh, on Twitter. Um, so if you see this, thank you. Um, and David Day is a great reporter. But I just want to, now this is going to roll really nicely into this. When we talk, I talked about the unionization last week, and a lot of people responded very positively to that. Great. <laughs> Welcome aboard. Now, the fight for 15 coincides with the fight for unionization. Because, let's look at Amazon. So, the big news this week is that Jeff Bezos is stepping down from Amazon. Whoa, whoop de doo He's stepping down from CEO to chairman. <laughs> As someone that has the title chairman, I'm going to tell you the chairman's the one that's in charge. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. He's just probably not going to be engaged with the day-to-day -day operations and everything like that. It's the same thing. But workers in Amazon, I've been meaning to talk about this for months at this point, basically. But there are votes starting to unionize Amazon workers. If that happens, if that goes through, and Jeff Bezos and 
all of those suits over at Amazon can't stop it. We're going to see a resurgence in solidarity, in class consciousness, in just overall understanding of what labor rights can be like if it happens. And unfortunately, it's a big if. However, if <laughs> it does go through, if they do get a vote, if the vote the workers vote for it and it's recognized, you're going to talk about, you know, millions of workers in the end. I mean, I, I don't it's going to start small. It's going to start localized. But you're going to talk about millions of people going to gain an understanding and appreciation of what collective organizing, of what collective bargaining means for them. And it's, they're going to be able to fight for better wages. Because like, let's, let's tie these two together, right? Let's remember that my boy Bernie got Amazon to pay their employees, keyword there is employees, $15 an hour. However, the majority, I would at least, I, I would need to double check this, but a good portion, I don't want to put uh, false information out there. A good portion of Amazon's workers are independent contractors. I would posit that it's almost a majority. Independent contractors are not employees. So they can pay them less than the $15 an hour that they promised to pay their workers. That might seem like a small caveat, but it's not because they're going to pay them less than $15 an hour if they can, right? If all of these people start to unionize and they're going to say like, well, we actually want this and this and this. We want healthcare. We want a good wage. We want uh, retirement plans. My God, we don't have those anymore. Not a 401k, a actual pension, because I got news for you. Amazon is taking over so, so much. And if you haven't already seen it, go check out my episode about breaking Amazon up. I still stand by that. F them. Um, but if nothing happens right now, Amazon is going to be a major, major force in employment. Um, and we're going to need to protect the workers. We already do need to protect the workers. And it's not there yet. So, uh, I, I just wanted to combine those two because it's very clear that you need to have class consciousness, you need to have solidarity, you need to have an awareness of what your collective power can be if we want to fight for this $15 an hour minimum wage, if we want to fight for better workers' rights, if we want to fight for the right to unionize, which I believe that every every worker should have, you need to show class consciousness and solidarity. That also means that if we get $15 an hour, the fight isn't just over, but we need to be smart. We need to not be caricatures. If you see someone saying something stupid, like, oh, well, we'll just raise it to 40. They're literally, literally 
being the caricature that the right portrays progressives as. And I don't mean to be like condescending or anything like that, but it is basic economics to know uh, that there there is some equilibrium force that if we start pushing it too high, there will be negative outcomes. We can disagree on what that point is, but you have to recognize that. I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, it's not that hard to just ca- start calculating what's a fifty fifty thousand uh, dollar a year salary divided by forty hours a week. It's not as high as you think. So, just keep that in mind. Um, I'm gonna take a quick break. We're gonna go into part two. Uh, very soon. So if you guys enjoy the show, please hit the subscribe button down below. It really helps. And you hit the thumbs up on uh, every video. You can check out clips of the show uh, intermittently, sporadically throughout the week. Uh, and you can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash the con o show. You can follow the show on uh, Instagram at the con o show. And you can follow me on Twitter at con O'Hanlon. Thank you very much. And I will be right back. Welcome back to the Con O Show. I am Connor O'Hanlon, the host of the show. Uh, we're going to jump really quickly into a brief little update on, because I, I, I couldn't fit it in the first half, uh, on the stimulus checks for the next supposed coronavirus bill. I want to uh, make sure that we all realize that... There are plenty of people right now that we just can't see that have been so negatively affected by the uh, pandemic. Uh, I mean, some people see them all the time, right? But millions of people have lost their health care. Millions of people have lost their jobs. Um, unprecedented levels of people have lost their jobs. Um, economists are going to say that are, are saying, I should say, um, that we will not see unemployment drop to pre-COVID levels for another decade. I mean, put put that in perspective is another decade. Um, and I mean, that's the full business cycle, right? We see if you guys don't, again, we're, I don't mean to give you basic economic lesson, but you know, some people never, never got an economics class, right? But basically the way that things work in um, a classical sense is there are, you know, the the boom, we have the peak, we have the recession, we have depression, and then back up to a to a rising again, uh, rising economy. Um, that cycle usually happens between seven and 10 years. So if you talk about, we're not going to get back to pre-COVID unemployment for another decade. Well, that means we're about, the, we're, we'll, we'll be due for another recession at that point. I mean, it's just, ah, it's crazy. Um, however, the COVID relief bill can be passed through reconciliation if they so choose by just the Democrats. With a 50 plus Kamala Harris, we could pass whatever we want, basically, so long as people like Joe Manchin, Kristen Sinema, Chris Coons, uh, other centrists uh, in the Senate. Hold the line. If they hold the line and they stay united and fight 
for the actual people of their goddamn states, they could pass something that would be actually helpful for the American people. Because let's let's think about this just briefly. We've obviously proven that um, unprecedented levels of spending don't just blow the cap off of of inflation. That's not to say that we won't see inflation uh, post-COVID. We're almost certainly going to see some level of of inflation because it's only natural. Um, But we have spent ungodly amounts of money. The deficit for the last year was absurd. I am not a deficit hawk. I am by no means a deficit hawk. I wouldn't say I'm a full proponent of modern monetary theory. I don't know exactly enough about it yet to say that I am. But quite clearly, when you give money to the people, it's one, stimulative. But two, it does not necessarily uh, correlate to a rise in unemployment. It does not necessarily correlate to a rise in uh, inflation. And this goes with the minimum wage debate as well, which is why I wanted to do this all together. But alas, here we are. There is no, no, no correlation between raising wages and unemployment. In theory, there is, but the data does not bear that out. You can look at anywhere where they raise minimum wage, because here's the thing. When you raise the minimum wage, when you raise spending, um, you are doing it gradually. Uh, When you just dump money into people's hands, they're going to spend it. The marginal propensity to consume is a 1.0 basically from people under, you know, $50,000 a year. For every dollar that they make, they spend it. Which then means... It's going to ripple through the economy. That dollar spent at the grocery store, that grocery store can hire people, that grocery store can hire those people to then go pay for their needs. Those people hire, you know, it's the ripple effect. Government spending directly equates to jobs, it directly equates to money in the hands of people. We need to fight for a big bill that will pay the American people. Not big banks, not Wall Street investors, not special interest groups. Pay small businesses, pay the American people. Then you can help out, you know, the big guys if they actually need it. But I'll be honest with you. Most of them probably don't. Most of the big guys uh, made out just fine. The Walmarts of the world, the Amazons of the world, the 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 richest billionaires in in this in the world made almost four trillion dollars. Increased their wealth by I shouldn't say made for the. They increased their wealth by almost four trillion t- trillion t- with a T. since the pandemic 4 trillion that's 4000 billion 
and the average worker has been SOL. So I just want to point out that when we talk about the survival checks that everyone ran on in 2020 and in the uh, runoff elections, first of all, it should be full $2,000. It shouldn't be this half, you know, okay, well, we gave out $600 and $1,400 good enough. should be a full $2,000. That's what you ran on. The second thing, why not just make a UBI until we hit a certain breaking point of, all right, now the unemployment rate's at 6%, we'll be all right. I mean, that's about the unemployment, the natural unemployment rate. Why not just do it? Why not just put the money in the hands of the American people? Because that will actually create jobs. That will actually create wealth. We talk about making money like it's just to consume, but it's not. Money is there to live life. We need it in the system that we live within, right? I kind of was dreaming about it the other day where I was like, you know, it kind of be cool to just be like a, a hunter-gatherer on some level. I, I'm, I don't hunt and I don't do any of that stuff, but just like that primal sense of just like, well, what if we just didn't have to worry about all this nonsense? But we do. So it's important that we should be giving people this money when they need it. And if we want to actually uh, improve the situation here in the country, we would do it every month. Um, That might be asking too much of our current leader. I don't know. And it's really not even just Joe Biden. It's actually the senators that we need to get on board because actually a lot of the people in the House we already have. Um, The other thing, the biggest update that I need to do before we move on is they're talking about lowering the threshold of who qualifies. Um, Actually, technically speaking, they're they're, they're raising what uh, the qualifications are because they're limiting it, right? But they're lowering the income uh, cap or they're discussing it because, of course, good old Joe Manchin needs to be uh, appeased for some reason. He doesn't want his people to have more money. Republicans like money too, guys. Uh, Let's be honest here. Republicans like these checks. When Donald Trump was signing them, they liked them. The same will be uh, said if Joe Biden did it. Uh, Look, I I don't like Donald Trump, but I liked getting a uh, the checks because it actually benefited my life. It actually improved my situation. It actually allowed me to do stuff without worrying. You know, I could buy a new video game that it wouldn't make me feel guilty. And I had money saved up. But like, there's a certain level of like, the independent uh, individual focus on your financial status is, is your responsibility, the individual's responsibility. We're like the only country in the world 
that throws that solely on the individual. Now, there is some level of individuality and, and responsibility that the individual must take. But on some level, can't we just all agree that we need to take care of everyone? It's a symbiotic relationship. We all should want everyone to be housed. We all should want people to be paid a living wage. We all should want people to not go hungry. And not just like the wishy-washy like, yeah, I, I wish that we didn't have hunger. I wish that we didn't have homelessness. There are solutions. I've said it before. I'll leave it off on this, on this part. Every single issue in this country is a choice. Every single issue in this country is a choice that our political leaders choose if and how to address. You see homelessness in San Francisco. They propose to put them in hospitals, or not hospitals, hotels. And you see right-wing TV, right-wing radio hosts up in arms because how could you possibly be putting these people in hotels? Blah, 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 blah. They're humans. They need housing. I know Maslow's hierarchy of needs is kind of like a controversial thing. It's not really necessarily proven to be real. But that base level of like you need housing, food, water, clothing, your physical needs, that's real. How can you possibly expect someone to be a productive member of society? I don't even think that everyone has to be productive members of society. I think that people should be able to do what they like. But on some level, we need people that are productive in society. How could you expect people to be productive if they don't have their physical needs taken care of, if they don't have their food taken care of, their housing? And I'm not saying just make it, you know, everything free. But we need to make things accessible to people. And housing is a great example of how they're like, why are you buying these hotels for these homeless people? Like, And then they'll complain that there's homeless people. Every, every single issue, I challenge you to prove me wrong. You can leave it in the comment section. Every single issue is a policy choice. And the leaders can change that if they wanted to. If they wanted to. The problem is that they don't. And lowering the threshold to $50,000, lowering it below $50,000 for these survival checks, I'm telling you, is a massive, massive mistake if they go through with it. Uh, and I don't know, I don't know what to expect moving forward. If that's, if that's how far we're willing to go, should I start expecting that my college debt is not going to, is just going to not have any help on it? I mean, Joe Biden and all the Democrats started, they ran on canceling student loan debt on some level, Chuck Schumer and, and uh, Elizabeth Warren want to cancel $50,000 of it. Okay. If you guys run on this stuff, if you propose it, 
The expectation is that you follow through. We have the power. We have the ability. There's no excuses. There is no excuse right now. This is why it's infuriating. This is why it's starting to get frustrating. And like I, we talked about it last week. Joe Biden does good things. The Democrats do good things. I am a member and I am a leader in the Democratic Party. It's okay to disagree with each other. But we have the power to make these choices. Not everything. We can't do everything unilaterally. But the things that we can do, we have to do. We must take action. We control the levers of power when it comes to uh, these stimulus checks. Do it. We control the levers of power when it comes to canceling student loan debt. Do it. There are so many things that can be done through reconciliation through the COVID bill. We have to do it. We have to do it right now. Sorry about all that ranting, but it needs to be said. So we need to quickly um, discuss. I didn't know if I really want to dedicate uh, an entire section to this Republican feud, but I think it's kind of important. And I, I think... I have enough time to do it today. So I want to discuss Marjorie Green Taylor, who is or Marjorie Taylor Green, whatever. It doesn't really matter. I don't really care. She's an idiot. Um, who's a congresswoman. And the war within the Republican Party over the identity of the party. Uh, and the, the, well, we'll get to why it's not really a war at this point. But if you don't know, Marjorie Taylor Greene is a congresswoman. She has said heinous, heinous things. I'm sure you probably do. If, you, if you're watching my show, you probably know who she is. Um, but for example, she threatened to kill Nancy Pelosi. She has used the images of Ilhan Omar um, and other uh, prominent women of color as, you know, fear mongering for the Democrats are coming after me. And it's like a picture of Ilhan Omar. It's like Ilhan Omar is like one congresswoman. I don't think that she's coming after you. Um, she's used Ilhan's uh, picture and like aimed rifles at it in campaign ads. She has been anti-Semitic. Uh, she said that the wildfires, and this is crazy, California wildfires were caused by the Rothschilds, which is basically just saying Jewish people, like she's trying to say that Jewish people have space lasers that caused it. <laughs> it's so stupid. Um, and she epitomizes the problems with the base of the Republican Party. I'm going to, I shouldn't have to do this all the time, but I'm going to I'll put the caveat that this doesn't mean all Republicans. It doesn't mean every conservative. It means the people that are like this, the people that believe this stuff. And it just so happens that there's a lot of them in the Republican Party. And that is why it's an issue. The issue isn't that she exists. These people always exist. There's always been bigots. There's always been morons. The problem is that she has power. The problem is that she's on the committees that have power. She's on the education committee as of right now. 
she literally has threatened to kill that she wanted to have Nancy Pelosi killed. Like, look, I'm no fan of Nancy Pelosi, but I would never say that like, oh yeah, well, of course she should be killed. What the hell is wrong with you? Like, I would never be like, yeah, Mitch McConnell should be killed. I mean, stupid, stupid, stupid. And a bigot. The the real thing I want to discuss here, though, is whether the party will denounce her or not. And what happens if they do. The Republican Party is the Trump party the republican i mean sorry trump is the epitome the pinnacle of 40 50 60 years of what the republicans have been building from nixon to reagan i've discussed this before the fear-mongering the race baiting it led to him and <laughs> In a project that I have been working on, we'll we'll dive deeper into that soon enough. I hope I hope to be sharing that with you guys soon enough. Um, but he is a symbol. He is the re- the reckoning of all of this rhetoric of these heinous ideas. They went to Trump. He is not an aberration. He is not. An exception. He is the conclusion. He is the symptom of the problem. He is exactly what you reap from what they have sown for the last 50, 60 years in the Republican Party. The Lincoln Project was guilty of it. Those people are guilty of it. They're ineffective, by the way. Waste some money. Do not, whatever you do, if you watch this, you take anything away from me, do not give those people your money. Do not give those people your money. They are scam artists. They are out to help themselves. (sighs) Donate to organizers. Donate to actual people that need the money. Uh, Donate to candidates. Screw the Lincoln Project. But the, the, the like war that we're talking about right now is very, very volatile while we're waiting to see what happens with this congresswoman. Last night, they they decided not to oust Liz Cheney from her uh, ranking as, uh, I think she's like third in the House uh, for the Republican Party. And of course, these legacy Republicans, they, they don't want to accept the responsibility for leading to this stuff. But, you know... John McCain was part of the pathway to Trump. Romney was the path, part of the pathway to Trump. Uh, George W. Bush was a terrible, terrible is a terrible person, but it was a terrible president. All of this has led to this situation, and we're witnessing. It's not. It's really not a civil war because the problem is that the Trump contingent of the party. Has won. There is this weird dynamic of like, 
House Republicans and Senate Republicans, and they're slightly different. The Senate Republicans are a little bit more like Mitch McConnell, where it's like, yeah, I still want to do terrible things. I still want to work against the interests of the American people, but I want to at least not act like a crazy person. I want to just, you know, help my buddies. Right? Like, you don't see Mitch McConnell ranting and raving about, you know, this and that. But he is he is worse, I, I would argue, he's worse for the American people than Trump. There are the people in the House, though. And let's be honest, Ted Cruz in the Senate. Rand Paul is starting to get there uh, because Rand Paul is supposed to be a libertarian. He's not a libertarian. Uh, there are these people that are just unhinged. And just, they're not even living within reality. I mean, Ted Cruz, Matt Gates, Lauren Boebert. Uh, there, I mean, there's many, many more in the house. I just can't name them because it's six in the morning. <laughs> All of these people are lying about election fraud. Um, you start see, you've seen it now on Fox News. You've seen it now on Newsmax. You've seen it now on OAN. They don't talk about the Dominion stuff anymore because guess what? Dominion is suing them for for uh, defamation. Gee, I wonder if it was true if they would still be doing that. I wonder if uh, the ghost of Castro (laughs) or... uh, all these, all these people that uh, they they are alleging that had impacts on the voting machines. If anything of that was real, would they stop saying it on on the media? The election fraud was a hoax. The election fraud was made up. I, in real time. On election day, I've told this uh, on my post-election day story, but mo- many of you guys probably haven't started watching the show since then. But someone on the day after the election was telling me, oh, Georgia had more people, or it was Wisconsin. Wisconsin had more people vote than there were registered. It took me literally 40 seconds to Google voter rolls, the number of people, registration, and the fact that they have same-day registration. I said, first of all, the numbers you're using from a different year. Second of all, uh, it's already above the the threshold that you're talking about. And third, they have same-day registration. So you could have people that uh, register on election day. Never, they never responded to that. (laughs) Of course not. Because these, they, it's not about facts. It's not about reality. It's about their feelings. And their feelings are misguided. Their feelings are wrong. Uh, I'm sorry. You know, feelings matter when it's, uh, You're talking about things that aren't as important as elections. When you're talking about objective reality, when you're talking about an objective count of the vote, it's really not that hard to count. 
all of this is just to say the Republican Party is the Trump Party. The war that we're seeing right now is, I mean, it's the last, I, I, I can't even say it's a hope because like, I think that the, the other Republicans in, in power are really bad still. And I would rather have like battles with centrists about things. Uh, but at least the ones that portray the decorum, the, I mean, it's really just their elites. They are elites versus like the, the faux, the fake populist, like, yeah, I'm for the people. It's like, bro, you have like five houses. You're, uh, you know, Ted Cruz, like a great example of this. Like, dude, your, your wife is a managing partner at Goldman Sachs. He's like, the Democratic Party is the party of Wall Street, blah, blah, blah. Like, leaking ooze. Um, dude, no. No. You don't get to say that stuff and just lie. Like, you can, you can have a leftist critique of things, but, like, when you're Ted Cruz, bro, you cannot, you cannot possibly critique the Democratic Party. Ted Cruz, come on. Ted Cruz got bodied by Trump and then was campaigning for him. Loser. Loser, loser, loser. And that's why it's obvious that the party is bending towards him. You look at Marco Rubio. Chump, little Marco. And he's getting, he's getting, he's going to get primaried possibly by Ivanka Trump. Imagine that. So they're all going to bend towards Trump's will, towards the Trump voters' will. And we're going to see that. We're going to follow this. Um, make your predictions down below on this if you'd like to in the comment section down below. Um, with that being said, that is all I got for you this week on this uh, this uh, episode of the Con O Show. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please hit the thumbs up on the video link down below. You can check out the Facebook at facebook.com slash show. You could follow me on Twitter at Hanlon. You can follow the show on Instagram at show. I also, again, want to thank Josh for joining me uh, as part of the team here. And you can follow the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify if you just want to listen to the audio version. And yeah, so look, look out for anything coming up, whether that be Patreon, hopefully, maybe... If you guys would like that, please, or if you guys would like to support the show, please let me know. But until then, see you next time. Stay safe. Peace. Mm-hmm.